Dave, uh, pastor of Renew here, and really excited uh, to see you, really excited about the uh, warm, sunny weather outside. Uh, after getting drenched, we were, this weekend we were at uh, my son's soccer tournament, the Seattle Cup, uh, and uh, it was sunny, and I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and we are going to go to the Mariners game after that, and then it just downpoured, and my Mariners shirt got all... Uh, wet and drenched, so we showed up to the game wet. But uh, it's nice to have sunny weather. Uh, but we're continuing our, our series called Breakdown Moments. And the idea behind it, or kind of the, the vision behind it is that all of us have crisis moments. All of us have breakdown moments that bring us to our knees. And also, the world is full of hurting, broken, and suffering people. And... Um, part of being the church is not to evade or sweep things under the, under the rug, but to engage um, with our neighbors, engage with our friends, engage with our communities, engage with the world in all of its suffering, in all the reality of the things that we go through. And that means for our own spiritual formation that we engage with our own hurts and our own suffering, mm -hmm. our own vulnerabilities, and that um, is at the core of what it means to trust God. Not that life is gung-ho and happy all the time, and that's how we need to show up at church, with a smile and be like, I'm happy, yes, I'm doing great, or my family is put together, or I want to worship, and I'm so glad that Andrew is happy leading his guitar up there, and I want to jump up and down and praise. But sometimes it's difficult to praise. It's difficult to smile. It's not realistic or human to even try to attempt and yet, our confidence is in God. And sometimes we just enact uh, the ritual and traditions of worship, of the liturgy, in order to put our hearts in a place to continue to lean into God's grace and mercy. Because God is good all the time. God is good. Amen? Amen. The other thing is, is that we are uh, in the Psalms a lot for that purpose. Because the Psalms... Um, are, are words of worship, right? They are liturgy. Uh, they're meant for the people of God, worshiping the people of God, and they're written by real people who are going through real things. The Psalms themselves, in many parts, are very raw. Right? You see raw emotion. You see distress. You see depression. You see anxiety. You see doubt. You see, um, I would say even paranoia, right? People are talking about me. People don't like me. It's like, really? Do people not like you? Or is that just in your head? But all of us have been in those places where we wonder, are people talking about me? Right? Are people against me? Am I not doing well at work? Is the world crashing down around me? Or even, as in the words of this psalmist, I grow weak. Because of my enemies. My neighbors have contempt over me. Even my closest friends, they dread me. They see me and they want to run away. Here comes Debbie Downer. Downer Dave. Right? They want to run away. I can't. It's hard for me to wake up in the morning. It's hard for me to get out of bed and feel like I have purpose or have the energy, have a future. If I know one 
something about being human, the thing that kind of brings us together is that we all, to a certain extent, live for the future, right? That's, that's part of what it means to hope to be a person is that, yes, I have a future. And the things that I do now um, are for the future. The, the reason why I would suffer through raising my children, for God's sakes, is because I'm thinking about a future, a future for them, a future for my family, a future for the world. Um, the reason that I would pursue a call into ministry and be a pastor and to stand up here and speak to people out of the word of God is because I believe in a future, a better future, not only for myself, but for people. I believe in the future that God is laying out um, for individuals, for this community, for this neighborhood, for this world. And part of being human is to be like, yes, we're looking towards that future. We're looking towards that future. But the thing is, sometimes that hope or that vision of the future takes second place or even, even disappears in the midst of crisis, right? We all have crisis moments. We all have times when we're struggling. And sometimes when we go through crisis, it's overwhelming, right? It's the only thing that we can see. And if you're like me, and there are times where I worry a lot, I'm anxious, things aren't perfect, I'm kind of a control freak and neurotic. When crisis comes, it is everything. My body is affected. My relationships are affected. There's a big cloud over me. And it seems like there is no future. There is no hope, right? All you can see is this fog of darkness that I'm in. And this is this crisis, this thing that's happening to me right now. I have a confession. I've always admired people who have that natural ability to respond with grace and compassion and truly genuine expression to people who are suffering or are in crisis, right? You have those moments where someone gets bad news or and a person gets really bad news and um, a graciously empathetic person swoops in and says, oh, come here. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And just holds them, holds their face, wipes the tear from their eyes. Um, and I'm just sitting there feeling awkward in my own body. Like, what do I do? What do I do? And darn, that other person already found the Kleenex box and gives it to that person. Like, what do I do now? Just stand that <laughs> they found it. I've got nothing. And I'm the type of person, when my kid falls at the playground in the mall or in the, you know, the neighborhood playground, um, sometimes I'm paralyzed. I just kind of look at her crying there. And actually, other parents start to comfort my child and hold her, right? I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, but God's working on me. I'm getting better. Uh, he has to work on me because I'm a pastor, right? I'm your pastor, right? So he's the one who called me, so he better turn me into a pastor. Because uh, isn't a pastor someone who walks? along with their congregants through the best of times and the worst of times, through births, through deaths, through sickness, through marriage. Um, 
And a Kleenex box can't be my only move as a pastor, right? <laughs> but uh, our friends need us to be present with them in their times of crisis. Church, our neighbors need us to be present with them in their times of crisis. Our nation, our world, needs us to be present with a response shaped by truth and love in times of crisis. Because there is a lot of hurt out there. There is a lot of suffering out there. There is a lot of crisis out there. And we are called to stand in the middle of that with love, compassion, appropriate action, the good news of Jesus Christ embodied in appropriate action, resources, money, and yes, even Kleenex boxes. Um, but we have, we, um, I think sometimes the church, you know, or Christians kind of get this reputation for, oh, that's just religion or Christianity, it's just a crutch, right? It's just what people lean into to be happy when bad times come. Or Christians are happy people, They're not, we're nice people, or we do good things, right? But when it comes to the real kind of real world application or real crisis situation or real kind of meaning and purpose and practical solutions to the world's issues, people wonder if Jesus is really relevant, right, to them. If the church even has a voice, a relevant voice, or if the church is present in those times. And with our vision statement, Renew is renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. We stand in opposition to that, right? We stand um, saying to our neighborhood, to the people around us that, no, we want to stand with you. We want to be a part of life, of life together, of community building. We want to be a part of the happiness, the crying, the celebration, right? The everydayness. Because it's the church beyond these walls, right? Jesus has something to say and something to give. Jesus has compassion, not just inside this place when we're reading our Bible verses and singing our songs, but Jesus has compassion and truth and good news, the gospel, for people out there beyond these walls. Amen. Good news for everyone. Amen. And we have to be relevant in that way as we embody Christ's compassion and love for the world. But we all inevitably run, uh, run into crisis in our own personal lives. Something that threatens my well-being. Something that makes me panic and turns everything upside down. Perhaps you have faced health problems. Maybe you've undergone major relational strain. Or you have experienced a loss of a loved one. Or you're experiencing financial crisis. You've lost a job. You need more income. You've lost your home. You don't know how to pay for rent or your mortgage. Maybe people are hating on you. There's a lot of haters, right? <laughs> Maybe you're being bullied. Maybe coworkers are gossiping about Maybe you're gossiping about others and find yourself in an unending spiral and pit of drama. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I can't believe I'm that kind of person. But I 
am that kind of person. Maybe I should stop watching Korean dramas or daytime soaps. And you just don't know how to get out or how to be a better person. Perhaps you've made a big mistake in your life, a major mistake, and you feel ashamed or embarrassed. You've had a crisis of confidence, no longer believing you are good or gifted or as talented as you once thought you were. In our uh, Psalm, Psalm 31, before verse 9, before the, the section that was read, in verses 1 through 7, the emphasis is on the speaker's trust in God's salvation and mercy. Right? Before all the, I don't know, be merciful to me, God, the psalmist is, has, is acknowledging and knows about the faithfulness of God. The psalmist has requested God's protection and graciousness. It is God who can truly see the sufferer, and it is God who delivers him up on solid ground. The opening verses of Psalm 31 acknowledge the psalmist's suffering, but place emphasis on the speaker's assurance that God will indeed deliver, that God will come as he promised, that God will save that God will lift up. Um, in fact, uh, in verse 5, it foreshadows Jesus' last words on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My God, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 23, 46 on the cross. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had seen this, his last. So Jesus is quoting this psalm as he dies. Jesus dies before echoing that final plea, the prayer of church trust. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And our faith, the reason that we're here, the reason why we sing praises, the reason why we worship and pray, the reason why we want to teach our children uh, and invite our friends into knowledge of Jesus Christ, into relationship with Jesus Christ, is because our belief rests on the very answer to this plea. The resurrection is the deliverance of the faithful God. Mm -hmm. right? As Jesus dies, into your hands I commit myself. Right? Into your control, God. Into your mercy and grace I lean and give myself. And he breathes his last. Our faith depends on the resurrection, that God indeed, even in that dark moment, in that, the greatest crisis point ever, that God comes and brings life into death, and Jesus is raised up, and this is what we believe, that God delivers, amen, that it doesn't matter how dark a situation you've been in, it doesn't matter how, how hard it is to wake up in the morning and get on with your day, God can bring life. Yes. God is faithful. And this psalm, and the psalms in general, uh, speak a truth about how we are to be in our walk of faith and in our worship. That even in those crisis points, yet we will praise. Yes. Yet we will lift yes. up. Yes. Yet we will plead and say, and speak towards what we know about God's faithfulness. God is faithful. I know that. God is faithful. And there's kind of a push-pull here. There, and it's like a lot of us. 
there's this toggling between lament and trust. Lament and trust. Doubt and trust, right? We, I, I mentioned the first seven verses, this is who God is. I'm confident of it. I'm confident in, confident in this. But then in verse 9, it says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body. This is a broken person. Broken physically, broken in mind, broken in soul. Right? I'm blind with tears. I can hardly see because I'm so sad. I'm weak because I'm so afflicted. And my relationships are all cut off and broken. Whatever like trust I put in my neighbors, my friends, around me, I don't see that. I don't trust that. Everything is against me and everyone is against me. I have become like broken pottery. Right? And last week we saw the video about the Japanese art of broken pottery fixing called Kintsugi, right? So uh, in that art form, uh, there's broken pottery, but the artistry and the creativity comes in being able to take the broken pieces of pottery and mend it. And in those seams where it was broken, the, they're uh, mended with gold, right? So this new, like, restored piece of pottery is this beautiful, like, it has the scars of being broken, and yet these scars are golden, right? And, and uh, well, we had a, the interview, Japanese artist was like, this is the beauty. It's even more beautiful than it was before, the restored broken pieces. And so there's kind of that image here. I have become like broken pottery. This turn in verse 9, the psalmist goes through a range of distress, emotional grief, physical suffering, isolation, rejection, and persecution. And this is a, what is called a song of lament. Um, the psalmist is lamenting about his or her life. Um, and it's actually pointing forward uh, to the passion narrative. Jesus' own experience on the way to the cross and on the cross was one of emotional distress, great physical suffering and isolation and abandonment by his own friends and persecution. Um, his trial was a sham and Jesus was unjustly sentenced. Jesus' own words, again, as he passed was, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me. Fourteen, it toggles again, the switch again. But, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My future is in your hands. Even though I don't feel like a fe I have a future right now, but I trust you. My future is in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. And sometimes this is all that we can muster in worship, right? Sometimes this is all we can muster in our life of faith. Right? Save me, God. Trust me. 
I don't have a future at all, but here, into your hands. Take it. Just take me. I got nothing left. I got nothing. Right? Just shine. Just give me a little drop of water. Right? Save me in your unfailing love. What does this mean for us? We need to live into the pattern of lament and trust. Lament and trust. A large part of the Christian faith and truth involves embracing life in all its realities. Right? The reality is that the world is full of distress, emotional grief, physical suffering, isolation, rejection, and persecution. All of us have experienced or are experiencing a range of emotional and physical pain. Our faith is not full. It's not full. It's not full body unless we acknowledge this about faith, about being human and walking, that there is suffering. And once we acknowledge this, then we begin to truly live and we begin to truly worship and truly trust. Jesus' act of love has no impact or good news to its hearers unless we embody life with honesty, embracing suffering, acknowledging it. There is no true art without the broken pottery right? so that God can begin to repair. Um, unless we lament, because Jesus understands He's walked a thousand miles in your shoes and has died to free us, died to save us. And we can't move too quickly to triumph or victory because we run the risk of having a shallow faith. Let, let yourself sit in what, what you're feeling and what you're going through. And then call out My, my uh, conviction and my belief is that all my bad habits and coping mechanisms stem from my fear, fear of suffering and fear of dealing with stuff that's going inside me, <laughs> right? So that's why uh, I love sugar. That's why I love to binge Netflix. That's why I this and that, because I want to avoid. I want to avoid. I want to avoid. It's like me trying to talk to my daughter, right? Trying to make eye contact. Cammy, don't do this. You're not in trouble. Just don't do this. And she's looking this way, looking that way. But can I play on the playground? It's everything to avoid what we're talking about here. And this is how we're like in life. This is how we're like with God. God is like, I'm here. Trust me. I'm with you. I'm working on this. And we're like, what about this over there? What about that? What about that new car I want? Right? And God's like, stand still. And we're like, oh, oh, oh.
just for a moment. Because I am doing something good. I'm powerful. And this is what the Psalms are for us. It's a re as we read it, as we sing it, we reenact the good love story, the greatest love story. We reenact the God story in our lives. And we remember and remember that mm -hmm. even though things are tough, right, God is good. Amen. And God is with us in his presence. Maybe there won't be relief from pain. There's no immediate answer, but there's his presence, right? And there's a future, and he holds our future, amen? Amen. And yes. that's what it means to be faithful, mm. to look towards God who is faithful to us. Yes. Um, so the, the other verse that Magdal read, 1 Samuel, um, about Hannah weeping, and Hannah wept bitterly. Right? We see in scripture many places where people weep bitterly. Right? And weeping, you know, weeping is not like a necessarily a word or a thing that we do in our culture too much, right? Out in open. Maybe you'll see it at a funeral or you know, in just really raw moments. But to a certain extent, when we see weeping and wailing, and it makes us all a little bit uncomfortable, right? And, uh, but Hannah, in the story, she's at a crisis point. She's in a crisis moment. She really wants a child, which maybe it's hard as a male today to get, wrap my head around it, or for us even now to wrap our head around what this would mean for her to have a child. But as the second wife, of a husband she really loves and her value uh, being placed so much in her ability to have children. She's at a crisis point. And her fellow wife is hating on her. Like, look, I have many children and you do not. Um, so she's weeping. And she's weeping so much that the priest in the temple is like, this woman is drunk. Right? This is like awkward. And he comes and says, what's going on? And she tells him this story. I'm praying for a child. And if God were to provide this child for me, I would give him back to God. And it's in this prayer, this very real weeping, wailing prayer, um, that God moves and acts. And the answer to her prayer is, means the renewal of the prophetic prophetic office in Israel because this child becomes Samuel, Samuel becomes the prophet of Israel, right? And renews um, the, the prophet before him, you know, or the priest before him is, you know, corrupt and things are kind of messed up and he brings this renewal of the prophetic office. And the question to us is what will be our cries to God? Or when people aren't looking, and when you're in the privacy of your own home or your room, what are your cries? Mm -hmm. Another way to ask this is, what brings you to your knees these days? Because mm -hmm. that's really the place that deep cries out to deep, and God is really speaking, and really wanting to work and move in your life. What brings you to your knees? 
turn that question outward, what are the cries of the people around you? As we are shaped and formed by a real spirituality, by allowing ourselves to really truly be seen by Christ and really healed, it also opens our heart to become more compassionate, more empathetic people. When we're real with ourselves, we're able to be real with other people, right? And then I get a better mood than Kleenex box, right? I can be the person that goes, oh, how can I? still feels awkward. Maybe it's the stoic Korean American in me. No. Um, but as a church, as a community, as a worshiping body, um, how can we come around people and really stand with them in their suffering? The flip side of that is how can we as a church look at people who are suffering and not be like Jesus has a this is not right. Amen. This is wrong. Amen. Right? Every human being has dignity. Every human being is a child of God. Right? How can we not look at people and instead of reaching for the law, like, well, but this is what the law says, but look as Jesus looked as he faced the Pharisees and says, this is the law of love. Mm-hmm. Right? I will heal on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I will love on the Sabbath. Yes. I will touch on the Sabbath. Yes. It doesn't matter who that lady is. I will be with her. I will love her. It doesn't matter who this man is, whether he's a tax collector. I will dine with him. Come and bring the children to me. Yes. I love the children. Jesus broke down all of those things and said, there is a law that trumps all other laws, and that law is love. And compassion. And Jesus touched people. Jesus touched people. And that's what we as a church are called to be. We're called to stand in the midst of people in crisis and suffering. And truly touch. And allow ourselves to be touched. We're supposed to be touchy. Right? We aren't supposed to be silent. When our kids fall on the ground and are crying. We're supposed to pick them up and hold them. Actually, when my children fall down and get hurt, I actually get mad. It's really weird. Like, why am I angry? Right? Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> but I, I began to realize, like, as early as a father, that when I feel vulnerable, like, anger is there. Right? Because that's my coping mechanism to feeling helpless and out of control. And so, as a father, the growth point is not to feel angry, but to be soft mm. and to comfort. Right? And that's something I learned. My, my wife tells me that she just needs you to hold her. Right? Uh, okay, hold her. <laughs> but we're called to love. Yeah. And uh, it begins with lament. It begins with trust. It begins with
My future is in your hands. Come and deliver. Come and save. And we want to lift up our voices and trust you. Cry out to you. Save us. Deliver us. Mm -hmm. Be with us. Yes. yes. And we want to be able to be the type of people that can hang with people, that sit on a curb together with them, mm -hmm. and be present, have a ministry of presence as they go through the things that they're going through. Not with trite, simple answers, mm 